podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the Anfield Wrap. I'm Neil Atkinson, joined by Neil Jones, Ian Ryan and Josh Sexton. Uh, we are brought to you today in association with Green King. It is the season for festive football. Advent uh, is hitting hard. And the best way to watch it is down at your local Green King Sports pub, of course. Christmas is a time to catch up with everyone, uh, friends, family, so on and so forth, and to get behind whatever team you fancy. Uh, live action of every single Christmas cracker, it says here. Uh, TNT, Sky, Amazon, all of them will be live. Wall-to-wall coverage uh, on huge HD screens. So get yourself down there and get every winning goal, uh, every big moment. Uh, this is the Anfield Wrap and Neil Jones. Uh, we had no big goals. We had no winning goals. Uh, we even had a lack of big moments in the grand scheme of things, even though there was a red card in the game. Liverpool nil, Manchester United nil, and Manchester United got what they came for. Yeah, yeah, they did. I'm, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people sort of mocking United and celebrating at the end and whatever but nope. I saw Major Van Dijk saying we were superior in every way they, they came they didn't come to win they did but the only way that they could win was the way that the game panned out and then they'd score and they, they just didn't score so I don't have any problem with United's approach I don't have Not any whatsoever. problem with them them enjoying a good result away from home um, I think everything has to be uh, put on Liverpool looking inwards and seeing well, why didn't why didn't they do what so many teams have been able to do this season and, and find a way past United and break their resilience and break their spirit. I have to say, I thought they would, and I was even more convinced after 25 seconds when I thought, oh my God, this is going to be a wave of sort of trouble for United. But I think once they got through that first about 20 minutes, I think it did feel a, a, a lot like not Liverpool's day, and uh, so many things just sort of <clears throat> didn't, didn't quite. They weren't. They weren't Liverpool went terrible. They weren't. There'll be a lot of people saying, "Oh, they were awful." Blah, blah, blah. That's nonsense. They weren't, but they just they weren't convincing in, in sort of almost almost anything they did apart from apart from the sort of the way they handled Hoyland. To get the United stuff out the way, Neil, I think what they do really really well as they get as I say when they get past that first period, I think the the. They block the passing lanes really well. They're not throwing the body on the line in terms of tackles or interceptions, but what they're doing is, and this is why I do think it was different for United to other away games they've had this season, both in Europe and domestically, where it really was, we are happy to commit everything and not and not not score off the base of the fact that we think we're less likely to concede. So I thought they were really poor in possession, United, uh, but I thought they were great out of possession. Blocked the lanes, just basically said to Liverpool, <coughs> you're going to have to do something special to get to yeah. get to get past us in the first two thirds of the pitch, and then blocked everything in the final third of the pitch, and that's where they did throw the bodies in. And I just think, you know, credit to to them, to the manager, they were well set up, and I think that you've got to you've got to respect before we pull Liverpool apart. I think you've got to respect that United once they got through, and I think it's the first fifteen in both halves to an extent. Once they got through, I think you've got to say United. Were well set up. Yeah, they they were completely set up for for what they did. When they they were set up to, I mean, they, they, I disagree. They were brilliant at blocking, at blocking shots. I mean, there was so many where you thought, oh, chance, and you know, Varane or Evans or Luke Shaw. I thought I thought Luke Shaw was the best player on the pitch by yeah. a long a long chalk. And think about he was a doubt before the game. Fair play to him. That was a, that was a hell of a performance from him. Um, but I think what they did was. I don't know whether they recognised it or whether they banked on it that Liverpool maybe wouldn't quite have the sort of... There was too many players in the Liverpool team that maybe would lose their confidence as the game went on. There wasn't the same level. If you think about past Liverpool teams where you think, oh, they've got Mane, Firmino, Salah, maybe Jota. One of them them will come good. I think they banked on it. Actually, 
uh, the likelier is that as the game goes on, Nunes, Diaz, <coughs> maybe Gakpo off the bench, they they get less likely to hurt. Yeah, I think potentially, you know, I'd like to have seen what the game would have been like if Liverpool would have scored in that first period. But I think once they didn't, I think it was it was always going to be a slog. There is. Ian, Liverpool look like blowing the house down in the first 10 of both halves. Uh, I think that that is there. But I think there's something in, in the idea of also ever so slightly blowing themselves out. I think this is really interesting in the context of you host pre-match warm-up for us. And so often we'll be on pre-match warm-up and someone will say, really want a fast start. The thing everyone says, really want a fast start. And I think we got to see the flip side of the fast start yesterday where a fast start's great if a fast start equals a goal. That's what you actually mean. What you actually mean when you say you want a fast start is I'd really love a goal in the first 10. <laughs> I mean, it's all love a goal in the first 10. But I think you got to see what it looks like when if you start at a certain pitch it's so hard to sustain it especially if you haven't got that goal to your back to say this has worked and let's keep going and you know I think that Liverpool as I say they look like they could blow the house down in the first 10 minutes of both halves but as soon as they don't it just all became as Neil says you begin to have that thing in your mind going one of those days one of those days yeah I think you're right I think the fast start thing it's always a, a little bit of a calculated gamble because we were speaking off air and I think United do do well at the things that you thought they might do well at, but it's all built on keeping it at nil-nil for a long period of time because if Liverpool get one in that first 10 minutes that you're talking about, you can't see a scenario where all those fragilities come back because they've been on the end of so many poor results. I couldn't believe how bad they were against Bayern Munich. It only ends up 1-0, yeah. but they're so bad. And when they lose that one goal, you just see the life come out of them. You think, there's no way back for them here. Even though it's 1-0, they should be able to get back into this game, but they were done. They were done and dusted. And I think the same would have happened... Yesterday, Agreed. only it probably ends up three or four, maybe more. Now, it, now looking at the game now and analysing it, it's hard to kind of picture that because the way it goes and Liverpool frustrate the life out of you for long parts. And, you know, a lot's been made of the crowd and stuff, but the crowd were really up for it for the first, you know, 10, 15. It felt like it could get on top a little bit, but that goal doesn't come. And then United grow in confidence and they've got players there who are... They're not world beaters by any stretch of the imagination in someone like maybe a Johnny Evans, but, but he's comfortable defending the edge of his own box. He loves defending the edge of his own box and putting blocks in. I totally agree with Neil's point around Luke Shaw. He's probably quite underrated. A lot of people like to maybe mock it's Luke funny Shaw. He's become bit. underrated. I th whenever I catch him, I always think he's at least good. Uh, and I thought yesterday he was very, very good. He indeed. gets mocked a little bit. And maybe someone asks because you know, he doesn't quite look like the perfect footballer. His body shape's a little bit different from, from some kind of you know the athletes you see now. But he's really clever. He's really switched on. He it's knows, quick, he knows strong, when to take a foul. You know, he's a better player than some people give him credit for. Notwithstanding, he will have the odd one, but he throws it in. You know, you see it last year. But. Yeah, Liverpool just find it it really, really hard. And I think, you know, there was that reminder then where you've seen it in recent games where it's not quite clicking in lots of areas of the pitch. And it's not just the forward players. There's a midfield issue as well at the weekend. But then you are sometimes relying on those forward players when they're in positions to maybe do something a little bit special, maybe beat a man, beat a fullback, whatever it may be. That isn't happening. And it's not happened for a while. It, it's As part of that, I want to come on to partnerships in a minute, Ian, but to sort of deal with moments around the penalty area whilst we had to graft at times <clears> to get round the box we were there an awful lot you know the number of goal attempts 42 touches in the opposition box it's they get into they get a lot of time in the penalty area and i i think there's a bit of a funny thing here again on on the fast start point or to an extent where they're just not very calm uh, when they get around the, the Manchester United penalty area. And that's from minute one. I don't think that's just even from... That's not as the game state deteriorates. I think it gets worse as the game state wears on, as the clock ticks. But I think in, in both halves, I think Liverpool 
are just a little bit anxious when they're around the Manchester United penalty area in the game and and, and that if anything that's the, we're going to talk about partnerships confidence individual performances but it was that anxiety around the United penalty area that, I, that came as the biggest surprise to me both watching the game and watching it back yeah you, you see it a lot I think you know someone like Sabozlai, um you see it an awful lot from him you know he's been someone who's coming and had an unbelievable start but the last five or six weeks it's it's not quite been happening for him and there was others as well listen, it, it wasn't a one person thing by any stretch of the imagination you know Trent was trying to force it at times, does okay, maybe over the course of the 90, plays different positions, but again, overhitting stuff, underhitting stuff. You know, some of the best players you've ever played for the club, you want to talk about Mohamed Salah at the minute, and listen, he's got an unbelievable back catalogue to the point where some people might go, well, he gets a bit of a pass, but he hasn't played well for about five games now for me, and his decision-making, and he's elite level, he was making the wrong decision time and time again, so it's not just a new person thing, this, it was spreading right through the team, and you know, you see the play out as the game grows on, as you said. On balance, Josh, Liverpool do deserve to win it. I think it's worth, you know, that number of attempts, getting into the penalty area that much, all over it. You know, there is, there's more goal-saving stuff than has been given credit for. There's the instant with Nunez and Diaz late in the game where Diaz should score. Um, and then <coughs> everything looks different. We're having a different conversation today by every stretch of the imagination. But United definitely also deserve a draw. And it's the latter that wins out. You know, I think that Liverpool probably... If, if Liverpool had scored that late one, we'd have all said Liverpool have edged it. And then you'd have gone from there and moved on. The point is, United nailed on, deserved the draw. But also, on balance, it isn't quite good enough. You know, there's a lack of creative spark and a lack of luck. You can't control one of those, but you are the master of the other one. And that's why it was a frustrating afternoon. Yeah, and that's that's where it is. It is sort of fine margins to, to, to a degree, isn't it? And United, you know, get the get the fine margins on the day. We've, we've given them all the praise. Now, I think Luke Shaw is probably the footballer who I've seen have the most good games against Mohamed Salah, like on, on the whole, like consistently, the, the, the left-back who has controlled Mohamed Salah the best of, of the ones who regularly come up against him. I just thought Liverpool looked tired. and Like, I, I actually said to one of my mates as we left the ground, I don't think we did deserve to win there because you mentioned that lack of creative spark. I thought, I thought we lacked... You know the creation of, of of any sort of big chances. Everything just felt a little bit tired, a little bit speculative. I thought it was it was summed up by by the the, the cross from Trent, which hit the first man, and it came straight back to him. And he just thought, I'm just going to hit this into the back post instead now because I've tried the front post there basically, and that's that's all sort of tired decision making. It's, it's it's a lack of you know in in it, sort of innovation of, of thinking. And I think Liverpool just lacked that that innovation of thought all day. They thought in those periods where where they were all over United and where it looked a bit like a, a sort of attack versus defence train next size, it felt like they just wanted to really get their get their goals then. And then once that failed, they didn't really have any any other sort of plan. It was one of those games where you know I, I, I like to, to my mate in the ground. I compared it to like the, the David Moyes United of old, where you used to see them putting you know sort of forty fifty crosses a game because that, it felt like that was all they could do or, or have speculative shots from distance. And to see that from from a, from a Liverpool team was I, I would say concerning I do just think it's tiredness and, and I think it's the sort of thing that you know probably won't be as much of a factor come January and February when we've got a few of the, of the, the injured lads back um, my issue with it Neil uh, over the course of the game is I just think that suddenly there's a lack of partnerships on the pitch and I thought it was crystal clear um, and I, I, as I say I want to come on to calm I want to come on to, to confidence because I think that's uh, an issue there as well but I think that it feeds in, it all feeds into the idea of there is just a lack of partnerships. It's in part because a lot of these players haven't played that many games of football yeah. together still. And I think that that's worth sort of dwelling on. But partnerships look like they were blossoming in September. And if anything for me, that aspect of it appears to have to have gone a little bit backwards. Yeah, but you, you have lost a few players that are sort of <clears throat> cornerstones really of, of the way Liverpool play, aren't they? Andy Robertson being a good... Like I thought Simicast was one of the best 
probably probably the best Liverpool player on the day in terms of outfield. You know, just in terms of consistent level of of doing the right thing in the game. But you're missing Andy Robertson, who's just a, a real tone setter and someone who seems to have a, a, a handle on if things are going a little bit wrong. Glues I, things together as yeah, well. Yeah, and you know, all right, this this needs this needs me now to to make a run with the ball or to to put a big tackle in or to. You know, give the referee a bit. Whatever it is, he, he just has that kind of way about him. I think Matip is is a big loss in a game like this because of just that ability to. You, know, you saw how much Canate had the ball in the game, and that's exactly what United wanted. They want Canate on the ball because he's not going to hurt. Yeah, I mean, I know he did. He did have a couple of Matip style runs, and when he got wiped out by who was who wiped him out? I don't know, but it was Matt. It was a bad yeah. challenge, wasn't it? It yeah. was. Um, I can't remember who it was. There, there was a couple of really into the last fifteen. I thought there were some really bad challenges from United. Yeah, Rashford put a bad one in. Was it Rashford? I, I thought that was a red. Yeah, I, yeah, but it but not, a I, I don't care yeah. if you know what I mean. The grand scheme of things, other than the fact that I think he could injure someone, but I thought that was a sign that United <laughs> were moving towards a ragged edge. Here, lads. There was still. Something there, yeah. But the point, the point about Matip is, in those kind of games, you, they have these sort of muscle memories of um, you get the yeah. ball out to, to the right to Matip. Someone goes there, and Matip can step into there, or he plays yeah. that pass. It isn't quite the same with Canate. I think, I think there's obviously Sabosli has lost a little bit of his. It's just just a sharpness, I think, in the way he's played. He looks looks a little bit like he's he's, he's feeling the Premier League a little bit. Maybe you know a few months in. Obviously, without McAllister, who was I thought when he got injured was just growing into that role where you're going oh, right I think that you can see how that works now there's a, there's a sort of a set way of doing it and then Endo's trying to do the same but he's not the same kind of player so it's it's more difficult I think the bigger problem at the moment is the forward line that just doesn't it just and if you add in maybe Gravenberg as the fourth member of that they just are <coughs> all a little bit too Playing their own game. I, I at times I don't know I, I don't I don't see that that natural sort of you know, when, you, when you used to see Mane on the left and, and, and Robertson and then Wijnaldum just nowhere to be there isn't quite that understanding it feels like it goes to Nunes and everyone reacts to what Nunes is going to do or Diaz vice versa obviously Salah's a constant but Gravenberg as well plays they play in moments more so than sort of in this set pattern of, of way of playing I think that the Josh on the I think Gravenberg's really interestingly and hopefully he's not out for too long because I actually thought he was beginning to really get to grips with the game <laughs> the just best, before the best thing he did was immediately before he got injured didn't yeah. it? it was yeah. you know and I thought he was just beginning to sort of go, hang on, all he's want to do is come tight, go man for man. If I spin one, I'm going to have so much room and, and I, I, it was beginning to work for him. The the big run wasn't the first time he'd sort of had to go at that. So it was a bit frustrating. But I think there's a little thing, Josh, where, for instance, I don't think Gravenberg and Diaz are linking up that well. I don't think Gravenberg and Nunez are linking up that well. I don't think Diaz and Nunez are linking up that well. That's a lot of attacking people who I don't think are linking up that well. I think Sobersly and, and Salah are linking up less well than they were earlier in the campaign. So you're left ultimately where the only real partnership on the pitch feels like it's Nunez and Salah. And there's, there's there's a bit of inconsistency around that as well. And you can keep Nunez away from Salah a little bit because of the setup. I, I, I was going to argue, I think you could say that Salah and Nunez aren't, aren't working that well. That, that right-hand side was effectively the thing that made Liverpool feel so I think magic like earlier in the season that was that was where all of Liverpool's sort of creative spark came from and it wasn't necessarily when when Nunes was a part of that there was times when you know Gakpo was, was was a part of that and he felt like he was linking up well with that right hand side at the time where Jota was, was a part of that and he felt like he was linking up well with that right hand side and suddenly I think you've lost all that now and the, the, the left hand side 
I, w- I would argue never necessarily had that with this iteration of this team. Like even when it was Robertson, I take take Neil's point. Like we are missing Robertson, you know, so 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 much. But he never quite had that partnership. But then on that left hand side, because it's either Jones or it's Gravenberg or you know it's Jota or it's Diaz. That's the left hand side chops and changes so much. You're almost relying on on the right to be the one that gives you the rhythm. And this is where I I, I wonder a little bit if it comes back to to Trent's position again, where you know. Trent not being as as wide as he, as he maybe has been in the past, maybe coming inside a little bit more. I wonder whether the sort of inconsistency between when we're seeing that and when we're not seeing that. Like he starts the game really wide yesterday. I was so surprised at how how wide he was in in, in some moments yesterday. And suddenly you see it in in slides suddenly in Endo's areas and Endo's suddenly you know really high up on on the left hand side. And you, you you can't quite figure out where anybody's really meant to be. Um, and that's that's what I think she's sort of lacking at the moment. That that it's almost like tactical cohesion. And I just wonder whether the manager is has fallen a little bit on you know almost wanting the players out there who bring you the individual brilliance like I, I think Gravenberg has been great and I think he, I think he was he looked really really sharp again yesterday I'm surprised by how quick he is like especially off off that sort of first yard half a yard he's so so quick I just wonder whether and, and you know there's obviously been those Jarrell Kwanzaa quotes that have been misinterpreted around Matip I wonder whether the injury actually allows Curtis Jones to come in and suddenly a little bit of tactical cohesion to, to come back to that midfield in, in a way that I think Jones can Jones can sort of you know chew it sometimes and take a little bit long on the ball I just think on that left hand side Liverpool know a bit more what they're doing when Curtis Jones plays on the left hand side of midfield There's something for me and it's interesting listening to I think we all feel like Liverpool players <coughs> pretty much played well but none of it feels like it ever linked up. So it's interesting, but I think Neil's praised both Shimakas and Endo so far. And I think Shimakas and Endo both have good games. But I can't really tell you how the good game happens in concert with another footballer. And that's, <laughs> it's, it's sort of part of the problem. And, and, and you, games, yeah. you don't really want them to be the one. You feel feelings that we've had, yeah, we've had yeah. good games as well. And I think that there is, for me, Ian, I think this is the thing that the manager really does need to think about, have a little think about, is that there is there has been a lack of cohesion there. There's no shortage of fight. There's no shortage of desire. There's no shortage of quality in individual moments, I think, from a number of the footballers. There's just began to be just an ongoing question around certainly attacking cohesion. I think out of possession, they're still dynamic. They're still aggressive. The the the, the press well. Attacking cohesion with the ball cohesion is, I think, almost in one sentence what's missing. Yeah, the patterns of play don't look don't look particularly great. It's hard to really pinpoint what maybe a Liverpool goal looks like right now. I think on the point around some of the players playing well, so I think so Endo, you can see why people would look at him and go, he's done pretty well today because I think he wins a lot of his battles on the pitch and I think that's you know fine and fair to say that. But I think he almost plays that role a little bit like a mid-table player would play it and that's where he's come from he's come from a mid-table German team and what I mean by that is he's quite cautious and quite ponderous when he takes it you know when he's got his back to goal he'll take it off the centre half or the keeper and he'll take a touch maybe take two touches and then lay it off to a centre half but there might be 10 or 15 yards spacing behind him and it's just having that awareness when you're elite level you know what's around you you're almost playing on the turn or on the side. Your first touch is out of your feet and then you'd accelerate it through the middle of the park or to one of the forwards. And I think that wasn't Liverpool's biggest problem yesterday, but I think if you're looking at small margins and things that just help with that cohesion piece, it's things like that where I think you really, really notice it when you've got top players operating in really important parts of the pitch. And as I say, listen, I think overall he does okay, but small things like that where you just want him to be a little bit more aware of what's going on around him. And again, he's not the only one because I think, you know, a lot of the forwards at the minute feel like they're making 
really, really poor decisions. And these are top-level forwards. And, you know, we all spoke on lots of shows and said, my God, Liverpool's forward line is the envy, certainly of the Premier League, maybe even of Europe. Maybe we've got a little bit soon on that because I'm looking at them at the minute and, my God, you are missing, you're missing Jota massively. You know, I kept thinking during the game, what it'd give for Jota here. And that's not saying that he doesn't have bad game because, of course, he'll have games where maybe he's a little bit missing at times. But his cleverness and his cuteness and his ruthfulness in the box when the ball drops to him is something that is just absolutely huge to this Liverpool team. So, yeah, it feels like there's there's lots and lots to work on at the minute. On the Jota point, Neil, what I think is really interesting with it is, I think for a number of people, no, I want to reframe that. I think there's a little thing where he is of the five the least ostentatious when playing yeah. well. He is the he is the least ostentatious by some distance. And that was, I think, one of the things that was grabbing me yesterday was I'd have liked a little bit less yeah, of yeah. it being ostentatious. And I feel as though that that idea of being a little bit of glue, I think there was a lot of people before the season started were very very determined to act as though Jota was, was fifth of fifth. five. And I think that part of what he offers you is, in all phases of play, just a sort of a no-nonsense thing going yeah. on. I think also, if you're talking about frantic, I think Jota's got the great balance of being a narc and aggressive but not being stupid about it. And I know he had the red card at Spurs, which he was a bit, he was unlucky to get. And it was a bit... I still think he was a bit silly in the, in the yeah, second challenge. Yeah, he was a bit challenge. silly, but I take your point. But I think Jota's got a bit of a... Just a bit of a mentality of, nah, I, I, I'm, I'm into this. I'll give someone a sly one and I'll, I'll leave a bit on. But I'm not going to... I'm not. Nunes was stupid. He could have been sent off, Nunes. He barges someone and then plods the referee. And yeah. you saw what happened at the end of the game. And I, I think... I think it's. I saw there was a piece in the Telegraph which was based around that saying Nunes should have been sent off if Dallow was. Like that's stupid. I mean, I, and he'd got his name chanted probably walking down the down the tunnel. But and it was also it was it was not even twenty minutes. I don't no, think. No, and it was, I mean, all right, I'm all for I'm all for like letting letting Johnny Evans know you're there and, and testing his creaking limbs and whatever else. But you know, come on. Um, I I, I agree with the, the 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 lack of Jota. Not only the the pressure that it puts on the others to play probably more minutes and start more games in a row, um, but just the. I think he's just one of those players that, when you're having a scruffy game, he's he's the guy you want the the, the chance to fall to. Scores a lot of opening goals. Is, I, I looked at it yesterday. So they've, they've scored nine in the Premier League since he went off at City. He went off at City against City last season as well. Funny enough, with with a, with a similar injury, they've scored nine goals. And only one of them has been from a forward since, and it was Salah's deflected one against Palace. Six of them have come from either outside the box or right on the edge. Um, Trent's two, and obviously the others against Fulham and Elliot. And then you've got a set piece goal, and, and Sobislav's one in the last minute against Sheffield United. So Liverpool clearly are not finishing, either not creating well, good enough chances or not finishing well enough. And I think if Jota is available, I think both of those things are remedied. And, and this is where I think it's a bit of a trade-off for the manager. Like I mentioned that individual brilliance thing before, and it's, I think sometimes when you aren't playing well, you almost do want to rely more on on the individual brilliance. And it's where you know you expect players like like Salah, and, and I guess I don't again I don't know if it's just us all going early on, but like someone like a Sobosly to, to to pop up and have that moment of individual brilliance. I almost wonder whether the manager would be better served looking for a way to find more tactical cohesion at the moment because that's it. Almost feels like the indi individual brilliance isn't there. Like there's, there's it's almost like they're, they're too tired to do the tactical cohesion, but they're also too tired to do the individual brilliance, and it's just creating moments of desperation instead. Do you think as well? Obviously, you're looking at. A couple of players are badly out of form. I mean, Ian's right to say Salah, but Nunes and Diaz are badly out of form. Nunes yeah. hasn't scored in 10 games, no November the 1st, last time he scored. Diaz, 
I think Diaz has got this real tendency of burning fast and, and burning out. But what what's happened at the moment is you can't leave them out because you don't have you don't have that option of of, of doing it. Could so have you, started so you, Gakpo. You could have started Gakpo, but I mean he's not been in amazing form. I think no, he's been in decent. He's been in decent yeah. form, but you you sort of you're having to make that gamble of should we, should we go and get it won or should we have someone in reserve if, in case we don't? And you're, you're picking the positive option obviously by by doing it, but it it it, it, just, it hasn't worked. On the um on the forward line, so I think I think Diaz is interesting because. I don't quite know whether this is maybe a follow-on from the injury, and maybe it's just robbed them of a little bit of that that extra yep. yard because he's not he's not quite beating that man so freely like he used to. He's but never then, going on the outside, Ian, and he used to. But prior to the first injury, he, he used to go on the outside yeah. all the time, and and he's. But now what he's doing is because he's never going on the outside, he's they're just standing him up going well you just want to go there and then finally it happens to him a couple it of times deeper and deeper. but I think this is part of all and like for instance I th- there was a couple of times yesterday where and listen if it, had, if it had gone well over the bar we'd have all been going oh what's he doing there but I think there's been a few times recent in recent games where I felt like why doesn't Nunez just get out this out of his feet and just strike it because we know he can strike it yeah. Diaz is dribbling you think it's one of his core things I just don't think he's dribbling very well we've mentioned already Canate with his passing like I think there's a really weird even Soberslai I think is, you know whether whatever his X factor was feels like it's diminished I think there's a really weird lack of confidence for a side that was top of the league going into the weekend there's four or five starters who I think have got a really bit of a, a weird lack of confidence thing going on and I've just sort of named four of them there no, I hundred percent agree. And listen, we've got to be careful here because they are still handily placed. So let's not, no, let's not go too big on this. But I think it's, but slaughter them to such but, an extent. But, but, no, you know what? But, it's, but it's, I think, but it's fair. It's fair and fine to have a yeah, have a, a real honest conversation about where you see them at the minute. Because I think, I think results have been far better than performances. I think the performances have been have been pretty bang average. Certainly over the last kind of five or six games, the Diaz thing. I'm unsure on whether he's. He's not able to trust his body just yet. Maybe he gets it back. Maybe he doesn't. It's hard to know. But he's also been through this personal journey as well, and yeah. it's hard to really put a. It's hard to understand what that may have done to him. Just in terms of you know, I think Neil Dockin spoke on the show the other day about you know sometimes it's the bit that comes afterwards where you find it really hard to, to deal with kind of you know that kind of personal stuff where it's it's completely out of your control. The newness thing is. Is really interesting because Neil, we were on a show about a year ago with Kev Wilson, Stu Wright, and we all had a big conversation about Darwin Nunes. And I think it's fair to say on the day there was you, me, and Kev really kind of you know backing him. But Stu was a little bit critical, and I understood where he was coming from. It was more about maybe his lack of clinicalness in those really really important times. And I've always been someone who's been a real supporter of Darwin Nunes, and still am. I think still think there's loads of good things to his game. The problem is a year almost still having those conversations where it's still. A little bit frustrating. The stuff around the finishing is one thing. The unforgivable stuff yesterday was the offsides, and it's not offsides Again. where Again. it's not offsides where I can have it if you're getting caught by VAR and you're playing on the shoulder, and he goes, "You know what? You're and offside." It's, got, and by it's, a, for, it's for a, a goal or a shot. That would, that would be my one but, problem, though. To be honest, but it's not that. It, it's it, he's standing in offside positions. He's not aware the lines moved up. The ball comes to him, and he goes, "Fucking arm offside." Didn't realise that's not that's not acceptable. But that, it's not acceptable for that level of football. And when you're paying that kind of money, you expect better. And he's got to get better at stuff like that. And as I say, I like him. There's loads to be enthused about. You know, we could play against Arsenal at the weekend and tear them to bits because he's got that in his locker where if it clicks he becomes this unstoppable force sometimes where you can't handle him but the problem is even after that Newcastle game I'm thinking fucking hell he's going to kick on here he's not kicked on he's got two goals I think league goals since then 
and you need more from him. If he's your number nine, you need more from him. And he he's not the only one. As I say, there's a number of them at the minute, a number of big hitters who just aren't coming to the party. But at some point, they've got to come to the party. I, I think it's got to come back to what the manager's asking him to do, though. And, and I'm not I'm not just here to sort of blindly defend Nunes, but I, I think he is he is being asked to, to be off the shoulder. And I, and I don't think you know his game or his level of, of, of development. Like we, none of us have that looked, was off the shoulder. Some of that yesterday. None of us have looked at Nunes this season and been like, oh, he's, oh, he's, a, he's a, you know he's a dead intelligent footballer now. Any that we we were all sort of saying it in the season. You know, he's not he's not this agent of chaos anymore. He's becoming more well rounded in his game. No one was saying that Nunes is one of the most intelligent footballers on the pitch. And the manager's actually asking him to do a really sort of cute and clever job and I, I actually almost wonder like you, you, you referenced sort of this time last season this time last season Liverpool were, were dragged through a, a pretty poor run of performances with good results by playing Nunes off the left and we were all sort of specula- speculating whether it was the right thing to do but Liverpool just kept winning games by, by Nunes being off the left and I wonder whether the manager needs to sort of have a look at going back to that now because at the moment it's clearly not working with him being through the middle I think Diaz is suffering because of it I, th- I would argue that Salah's starting to, to suffer because of it I think Gakpo suffered in terms of not, not being able to get rhythm of games because of it I just think that's something worth going back to now because because whatever he's doing with Nunes at the moment is not working the, the, for me one of the I think that when Nunez got the ball in areas yesterday there's a couple of times for instance where he gets off under his feet puts a really good cross in yeah. uh, he just yeah. but he's not there to head it in yeah. uh, but it's, he, he, he puts I, 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 find, I found it was really interesting yesterday because this goes back to my thing Neil I didn't understand why he wasn't getting out from under his feet and striking it. Yeah. On a number of... I'm, I'm listening to his other players and I thought Liverpool had too many shots from distance and so on and so forth. I really feel as though his, his confidence around literally attempts on goal has been really knocked by the Luton miss. And I don't think... I think you've not seen in a Liverpool shirt the same from him since. There's one at City yeah. where he's, 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 he's 20 yards and he's got options and one of his options is drive and strike. There was one yesterday, an option yeah. was drive and strike. The one for Diaz, where Diaz ends up getting converged on that was that was a Nunes chance yeah. a, you know, a better chance for Nunes than it was for Diaz drive and strike yeah. and I think that and it, but he, the Diaz one was really interesting because I think Nunez Nunez decides he's almost happy with Diaz taking this and Diaz decides I'm almost happy at taking this because he's been missing and that that's what concerns me is I I'm, I take the offside point and fucking hell it frustrated me and don't worry about it I was you know I was I'd had enough of it but what I'm more worried about in the in the Nunez conversation is where's that drive and strike that yeah. we've seen and maybe a bit of time on the left could bring that back for him a little bit yeah I think the other thing I suppose I would say is what's his goal what's Darwin's goal you know what what everyone has the the, the that type of goal yeah. don't they? And you think of Torres, maybe someone like that, or Robbie Fowler, sort of low across the keeper. That that finish. What's his goal? I think it's I think it's ball close to the byline, pull across, and and him, him arrive. And you see it for Uruguay quite a lot, where he gets in and he gets. You know, they might be scruffy or they might be brilliant volleys. I don't think Liverpool are creating those kind of chances at all. I think so. Liverpool, Liverpool are a bit deeper. They're crossing from more sort of outside the box. Simakas whipping them in, or Joe Gomez maybe, or Trent from from a, a like a. At the half space, if you want to call it that, they're not getting into them positions. So, so I agree with Ian. So, what Nunes has got to do, he's got to be better in in the rest of the game, hasn't he? He's got to be, like you say, he might maybe it's more more decisive and just have. I'm going to have a shot. It might be more just sort of I'm going to I'm going to take a defender away. I'm not, not even for the ball, but he's just at the moment the last few games, and I think it's getting progressively worse. He's just getting a little bit lacks in, in almost everything he does you know you can accept a, a dodgy touch a wild finish or you know maybe you know he, he's always going to miss chances I think he's just that kind of player but I think some of the stuff that he's doing you know like I say the badge on, on, on Evans is just stupid there was one where you chase someone into the corner and you think he's going to he's going to give a free kick he's, he's that kind of player he, he, he sort of you know he, he makes 
silly decisions against the ball sometimes. But I think with it, I, I, I think I think he might just be lacking a bit of confidence in terms I, of what I, he's I, doing. I, really I, I, it's ten, it's ten games. It's a num- yeah, and yeah. he's played most of them. You know, he's not he's not sort of this isn't him. And he's wearing number nine and he's playing through the middle. Yeah, I mean, I I know we'll come on to talk about West Ham. I would have a big big sort of think about playing him against West Ham and just seeing if you can get him get him a goal, get him on the score sheet, get him you know if you get a pen, give me just just sort of see if you can sort of flick the switch again and get him back out there because. As Ian says, they need they need them to come to the party, he, definitely. He is that kind of strange footballer where you see, you know, they see the finishes against Newcastle, which is unreal, by yeah. the way. The finishes against Newcastle are off the scale. You know, Pope doesn't have a chance Most of getting Most of the goals them. he scores well, are really well, good goals. Well, well, this is it. You know, we, the ones he misses, you think, how's he missed that? But I think I think there's something Liverpool could do, but it, it might involve them going into the transfer market because I think getting McAllister a little bit closer to him would help. And you see it against Aston Villa, where, again, he scores an unbelievable goal, Nunes. It's, it's ridiculous to finish. It, it, he makes it look so easy, and it's not easy when you compare it to some of the ones he misses. But I think maybe getting someone a little bit cute and a little bit clever in and around them might just open the lock a little bit more, where McAllister's got that pass in him. And Liverpool have not really seen it this season this much. They do it a little bit against Sheffield United, but... Listen, he needs to run against McAllister. He's going to play that position. He gets the injury and stuff. So I wonder whether there's something he can do tactically. But again, it's it's who plays six then. But I think also in, in that sort of cute and clever thing, this is where there's a conversation around: is the manager picking? You know, I want to. I'm going to come on to talk about Jones and Elliot. But is the manager picking players who are cohesive with each other? If you sort of see what I mean, because I, this is back to Josh's: is he just whacking the individuals on the pitch, thinking we'll get through this? We know what they're going to do. We're really good out of possession, by the way, and the manager's obsessed with out of possession. And I think he thinks the way these press they're doing all this sort of stuff that's what I'm banging into there's different types of cohesion there's cohesion with the ball and without it and Liverpool have got it without so you can see why the manager's committed but there's times where with with it the, the, the confidence thing mentioned Canate mentioned Diaz mentioned Nunez maybe Sobers lie there's a flip side to it Josh which is I think you can make an argument Gomez, Van Dijk, Allison, even to an extent Endo are displaying fair bits of confidence whilst they're playing and that's why it's such a funny football team at the minute and a difficult one to talk about I I can't believe the confidence of Joe Gomez he, you know, he, <laughs> he's going to score you know, he's oh, going to score I, I, tweeted I, that. I tweeted that a couple of weeks ago I said he's going to score this yeah. season I can feel it and I thought I thought the moment had come I thought he I, he does really well and then that's when they're nearly getting in down that right side but Gomez makes the pitch big I thought he was great again when he comes on it's it's like he's completely committed to the idea that he is indeed Cafu <laughs> I, I, I think he's just dead clear in his role like when, when Neil said there that you know the, the crosses that Liverpool are making are not the sort of crosses that Uruguay are making or, or the sort of chances that City create where it is getting to the byline Gomez is the one who yeah, consistently gets him, to the yeah. byline he's, it's like it's like he's really relishing that role of being like I'm, I'm the right back here what they expect me to do because every other fucker for Liverpool does it is get, get to the sort of elbow of the box the, the corner of the box and then and then swing a deep one in. and he's like and I'm not going to do that every time every time he sort of has a look up at it the defender goes oh here we go he's Pop doing it that again and, 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 then, yeah, and then goes down um He's, he, he does look really, really confident at the moment. I, I think I think it's a good thing that Van Dyke looks confident, and, and I loved his performance again yesterday, in, in, almost in a more understated way. And I didn't think it was like a he wasn't like supreme on the ball or anything. There wasn't like all these big switches or anything. He wasn't like opening up the game for Liverpool, but he was really like taking his teammates to account, like really holding everybody on on, on the pitch to account. There was a few times where like lads just looked so tired, and he's literally just like shouting at people, being like, "You shouldn't be there. You should be there. Like get ten yards further forward. Like we're meant to, we're meant to be full on the front." He wanted them further forward. Honestly, there was so so many times yesterday. I was I was sat in the in, in the upper annie, and there were so many times where like when when we got a uh, when we got a corner or a set piece later on in the game, he just he basically spent every time coming into the box just nailing somebody and. <laughs> I, 
I think it almost got to the point where everyone around him just going, Virg, just fucking chill out, lad, honestly. Give, give Trying our best here, yeah, yeah, it's, get, it's getting late in the game. We're all a bit tired here. Like every time he, he, he had an he had opportunity came up, which, which, which loads later in the game, he just used the opportunity to, to, to come and have, have a pop at someone, which, which I loved. And Darwin got it in the neck a, a lot from him, from him yesterday as well, which I think is, is when you can see that, you know, he's, he's not sort of displaying that tactical intelligence that, that, that his teammates want him to, to display at this stage. But that's what I do love from Virgil because I think it's what we miss in Robertson as well. We miss someone who's just, who's just being a bit of a narc on the pitch. I think Endo's got a really sort of narky element to, to, to the way he plays the game. Like I thought he was he was really, really good in the first half yesterday. I like I, I just thought there's so much to, to, to his game that actually really suited Liverpool because United had clearly come out with a, with a bit of a game plan, which was they, they wanted that man who to get you know really stuck into challenges. I, I actually think United one of the best things they did yesterday was play Michael Oliver so well because the one thing that you know Michael Oliver's going to do, and I'm not I'm not moaned about the referee performance by any stretch of the imagination, but one thing you know Michael Oliver's going to do is, is let the game flow. He, he's, he, he wants to be so so sound, Michael Oliver, and he wants to really play the big occasion by going. I'm just going to let all this go to the point where I thought there was probably three United players early on who could have easily been booked on the on the first one or two challenges. It was one inside um, the first sixty seconds, and, yeah, the, yeah, and the main stand would have disgrace. Yeah. And, there and, we go. That's just my current obsession. That lower main on that side. That someone's got to. Someone's got to start sorting that out and getting stuck into liners and referees. I'm Robert on ground. Yeah. Oh, yeah the, well, the, the, the first Manu one, I, I, I thought he could have been booked for. There's the second one where he goes flying in on Trent. And Trent, to be fair, yeah, Trent's Trent just Trent's just as strong in in, 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 in the challenge. Yeah, the one the one on Endo is the one he eventually gets booked for. I think. And Endo really has to sell that as well. And that's that's where I think I do I do sort of like that element to, to Endo's game. I think there is there is that real sort of tactical intelligence. There. And I take I take Ian's point about you know he's he's not the most progressive on the ball. He's not the most technical. On the ball I think when we're looking for tactical cohesion he's actually not a bad person to have out there but I think you almost need to have then you need to have a McAllister next to him or you need to have a Thiago next to him and it, it makes the, the Thiago thing ever more painful that we're still like where the fuck is Thiago Alcantara like please can we can we have like an investigation into this or something because it just feels unfair at this stage it's going to be mad when he rocks up against West Ham runs the show <laughs> uh, and we all go from there uh, just bobs in the Virgil van Dijk thing I think and United don't offer loads yesterday, but in the context of dealing with everything he had to deal oh, with, so I thought good. he was—I thought he was excellent. I thought he was just head and shoulders again. And you now he's—he has really come to the party again this season, Virgil. He just looks like the best one by a distance. I think he's the best player in the country at the minute. I mean, I have to say, you know, since I have to do like sleep at Arsenal, but I think I think Virgil just looks like he's—he's he's returned back to his his best. And I think when he's at his best, I think there's very very few who can. You can get near him, and I'm talking about you know going back over over periods of time as well. And I know, you know, social media didn't really exist as much back when Terry and Ferdinand were playing, and, and probably you know, luckily for them, a little bit really because everything Virgil does is just completely overanalyzed. And you know, for me, when he's when he's at his very best, he probably is the top centre half that the Premier League has seen in terms of that ceiling. Now I know others maybe have done it for a slightly longer period of time and others will have won more stuff. There's no doubt about that. But in terms of the level and the control and the influence he has on others, for me, second to none. And people will talk about Terry and Ferdinand yeah. and I get it because they're in the conversation. There's no doubt about it. They are in the conversation for some of the best centre halves that have played. But you know, it's often easy to forget, and nostalgia is a wonderful thing, but you forget some of the mistakes that those footballers made. And if you want to go back to the archives, Ferdinand's a great centre-half, but my God, there's plenty of times when people made a show of him. You know, if, if Craig Bellamy, what he did to Ferdinand that day in the, in the Manchester derby, if that happened to Virgil in the Merseyside derby, you would never, ever, ever hear the end of it because football has moved on. How we analyse football has moved on. Monday night football is a totally different thing now to what it was back then. Every single thing is just analysed to death. But 
Liverpool have needed Virgil van Dijk to come to the party this season. Him and the goalkeeper. And I know Carragher said they're doing a lot, a lot of heavy lifting. They absolutely are. But whilst you've got them too, even though you're going through this funny time at the minute where you're not quite sure where Liverpool are, and I'm still not sure where Liverpool are, I'm really finding it hard to, to understand their level. Some of that's fine because they're further ahead than what I thought they would be. In the context of a title challenge, it's really difficult to know. But I think what we can all accept is the league's not what it was in terms of there's no Man City in terms of what they've been in previous years that are going to blow everyone away and get 100 points. That's not happening. So you just need to be there or thereabouts. And you've, you've got a chance. Get to the other side of Christmas, you've got a chance. And whilst Liverpool have got Alisson and Virgil van Dijk delivering 9s and 10s out of 10 on a regular basis, they've probably always got a chance. So Yapstam last week got asked who would you have He'd give 10, 10 options he said and he has Ferdinand Tony Adams Terry Vidic and he said Van Dijk and, he, and, and that was after slaughtering him as well he said you know he, oh, he could be they love slaughtering the Dutch don't they weird. I mean he, 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 was, he was a bit more constructive in his prayer he didn't just say I hate him but Van Basten and Hullard seems to be doing but he, he said oh yeah Van Dijk yeah you know and that, that, that tells you and I agree I mean he had that one moment where I would I, I could have throttled him when he, he headed it up to the keeper and then he was like this and the keeper launched the ball over his head yeah. and he was in on goal and it was like Van Dyke was, oh God, are we playing on, are we, yeah? <laughs> um, but <laughs> other than that, yeah, yeah, other than that, I mean, listen, you know, he had it, I know he could have won it, Hoyland, he could have, he could have, should have scored, um, but he got a lesson, he got a lesson in what it's like to play against a top-class centre-back yesterday because he never, I think he had, he had one pass completed in the first half. Hoyland and that was that was down to Van Dijk just knowing how to play him Okay uh, I want to talk about the manager twisting with the subs in a minute or two but before then Carol Rogers from House of Memories uh, was speaking to John Gibbons about what they've got set up there And it is John Gibbons for the Anfield Wrap and we are delighted to be joined in the studio by a name <laughs> from yeah. Museums of Liverpool uh, just over the road uh, it's Carol Rogers to talk about the fantastic uh, new House of Memories app so first of all Carol thanks for coming over to see us Well I had a long walk <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can, you can see each other. Uh, I know I'm going to wave to you after today. Next time we need a cup of sugar, I'll be over. <laughs> you to will, you will it. indeed. Got a great cafe over there. Fantastic. <laughs> well, it's there's always so much exciting things going on. At yeah. the Museum of Liverpool, it's a fantastic thing that, that we have. But one thing in particular, I know you're really excited about, it's a link up with Liverpool Football Club on the on this House of Memories app. So tell us a little bit more about it, please. Well, first and foremost, thank you for having us here. Delighted to join you. So House of Memories, as you quite rightly say, um, its birthplace was the Museum of Liverpool, just here by the waterfront. And we began 12 years ago now thinking about how we as a, a museum can reach out to support older people and older people perhaps who can't get in to visit the museum as often as they would like. And in our journey of developing the, the, the thinking around that, we started to think more directly about people living with dementia and their families and their carers. So back in 2012, as it was, um, we came up with the idea of creating a resource for families and carers supporting the dementia community, first and foremost in Liverpool, which is our city. But um, in doing so, we talked to other museums around the country and to the then Department of Health. And we were really encouraged to come up with an idea that just wouldn't, would start here in Liverpool, but could travel elsewhere. And it's very, very simple. What it does is it places the museum and all the great skills we have at telling stories about our memories, it places it into the centre of somebody's life with dementia as a resource. So we've got a number of things that we've developed, a training programme for carers, which happens every month in the museum. Wow. 
We have a bi-monthly workshop for families and elders. And then we have the My House of Memories app, which is where we were really excited to partner with Liverpool. And I went down to the launch event last week and, you know, fantastically attended. And we had to have, got to have a play with, with the app and it brought back so many memories for me. And you're seeing things and obviously things from before my time, um, and but, but things from memories for me. And football has the power to do that, doesn't it? When you see certain things, it takes you back to a certain place and you can almost hear it yeah. uh, as well. And I guess that's why, you know, one of the reasons you wanted to use football, you know, for this is that, you know, it, even for people who unfortunately, you know, suffering from Alzheimer's and things like that, football has a real power, doesn't it, to, to take us back to, a, to another time and another memory? Absolutely. I think what any sort of images that relate to us, you know, sport, music, family days out, all of those images and stories are packed into the, into the tablet, which is, you know, an app download and it's free to use and it's dementia friendly. And that doesn't mean it excludes everyone else. It just means that people living with dementia can access it and really enjoy the experience alongside, you know, the wider family and wider community. The great thing about the app, I think, is it, it brings memories into a shared space. And um, what we know from our early work, earlier work with the app and what we're really excited is going to happen now is those images that you saw that just took you back to a place that you remember, that can happen for people in groups and individuals to share together. And that's really important if you're living with dementia because often you might struggle to remember what happened yesterday, but you can remember those match days, whether you were there in person or you watched it on the telly. You can remember your journey to the game the wins and the losses, the highs and the lows, but it starts a conversation and it's about the passion that people have for, for the club um, and, and to talk about that with each other. So I, I just think it's a really powerful way of keeping people connected. One of the great things the app does as well, which I didn't realise until I had a bit of a play with it, is people can upload their own photos yeah. and things like that as well. And I thought, oh, isn't that great? Because it almost becomes this resource that's going to be, you know, there forever for sort of people. And, you know, for, for many of us, we've got our pictures, but we're not quite sure sort of what to do with them and things like that. But, the, you know, by uploading them, A, other people can enjoy them, other Liverpool fans around the world can enjoy them, but also then, then that's a, a lasting sort of legacy for that person too. Of course. Oh, spot on. Absolutely. That's why we didn't start with the personal uploading. We started started with all the museum collections we, we partnered with, but people began to ask us, well, I love the memories that are in the app from the museum, but I've got my own memories that link. And that bit of the app is very personal to you because that's important because sometimes, you know, elders living with dementia, they are vulnerable adults who want to make sure that those memories that are precious stay precious for them. But what that does, it creates your own little personal mini archive, if you like, and you can share it with your grandchildren. And one of the things that I think is really special about that, if you've got early onset dementia and you still have the capacity to connect and remember um, with some support, you're putting into a digital area the memories that make you happy. And, you know, let's hope one day we do get a cure for dementia. We don't have one yet. But for your family, what a wonderful feeling on your dementia journey. And I did go through this with my mum. On your dementia journey, when you lose the ability maybe to communicate as you used to, your family knows those were the memories that made you happy. And they can always recall them in the app and you can sit together and you can enjoy them. 
And I think that's a very important moment in people's lives to feel like they're, they are recognised in the room, yeah. particularly if the disease and the condition is, is, is slowly taking away that connection from you. And I've seen it play out time and time again with a House of Memories when we have people in the museum or we go into care homes. It's just really powerful. And um, it's quite emotional as well because, you know, it's important that we stay connected with one another. 100%. Um how good has it been to work with Liverpool Football Club on this? Because I know it's very much been a partnership, and so how, how good is that Just been? fantastic. You know, I, if, if you'd have given me a choice, I'm so glad. <laughs> that, you know, who do we want our first kind of like football resource to be with? Obviously, I would hope for Liverpool. <laughs> and, you know, because the club is in the city. I know we have two more than one great team in our city. <laughs> I need to say that for all my friends that are blues. But... For me, starting with Liverpool, the history of the club, the fantastic museum archives that you have, working with Red Neighbours, working with partners that had archives and um, collections around great games, memorabilia. Um, that was just a fantastic coming together. And I have to say, you know, the LFC Foundation with the team there, Matt and, and Katie and colleagues, they were just a joy to work with. Because um, I think what we're all united in, in is, yes, the love of the game and, and the history of the game, but the connection with the fans and people. So what you'll see in the app, it's not, it's not corporate. It's memories that are everyday memories. It's tickets and brochures from games. It's the rattle that we used to play. It's the scarves. It's the songs. You know, it's all about living history yeah. and memories that we all have. So um, LFC Foundation have been so generous and kind and given us time. And obviously through Red Neighbours and the support that we've had from the legends who have come on board and got behind it. John Barnes has been fantastic. Becky Easton has been fantastic. They came to our steering group. What you get from that is you get that you get the authenticity that this isn't just this isn't removed from, you know, everyone associated with the great the game. Everyone is involved and that makes it a very rich resource. And I think that's why I bet you couldn't put it down once you started. <laughs> when we were with John Aldridge in the care home last week when we were launching it, John came in to talk to, talk to uh, you know, the older people and the residents. But as soon as he picked the app up, he just was like, it was, I remember that, I remember. And what happens is a conversation starts. Yeah. And from that conversation, it can go in any direction, mm. but it's a conversation in the moment that might not have happened without House of Memories and the Liverpool resource. You mentioned the, uh, John Barnes and Becky Easton, in particular yeah. two LFC legends who did a lot. And they both spoke at the event. And, and something that um, you know stayed with me afterwards is that both of them talked about their personal experiences of family members with Alzheimer's and that being one of the reasons why, why they wanted to get involved and give some more of their time. And it's just a reminder that you know, this does affect you know, so many of us and so many of our families. And you know, what we're all after, especially for, for loved ones and, and people in older life is you know, to, to, to see that joy and, and that's what this can do, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. When you, when you, I mean, from the get-go, we wanted it to be really accessible. So you can, it's, we designed it with a group of older people from Mossley Hill Hospital who were living with dementia. And it did challenge us in the early stages because as a museum, you know, our skills and expertise um, around exhibitions and storytelling, um, published documents, you know, that we're, we're a national museum in the north and I would argue we're one of the best, <laughs> but, you know, perhaps I'm a bit biased, but we do that. That's our day-to-day -day job. But when we came to design the app and we wanted it to be dementia-friendly, 
we did have to start from scratch. We had to think very differently about how it would work for a community of elders, perhaps might feel a bit daunted by anything technical. And I have to say, they blew us away. And what we've ended up with is, a, is an app that is, it works for everyone. And in, and in designing it in the way that we did and with the connections that we have now through that, we feel we've got something that will continue to grow and evolve. We can add more and more contact to, content into it. And I think what we see again and again, people sitting together, it's just the joy of it. It's so simple. Yeah. And you do get engrossed in it and you can get lost in it, which is wonderful. And then you, you can go to your own memories. Um, I've got so many stories over the years of seeing elders and grandchildren sitting together and perhaps the younger younger generations think well my granddad won't be able to use you know a tablet but when you have content that resonates with people absolutely yeah um, you can so i think it's very special it's the only one of its kind in the whole wide world and i love saying that but it's the first <laughs> um we've got the f the best and the first premier league football club in there with us yeah we'd like to do a lot more um, because we want to grow the content all the time. And it's just, um, it's, a, it's Christmas, so it's great for people to sit, you know, when you get to Boxing Day and you're all full of turkey and <laughs> you've seen all the films, download our app, sit together, share memories. So it's available to download now. There's a yeah, website on yeah, social media yeah. as so, well. Yeah, you can go onto the App Store. It's for any sort of, you know, iPad or any sort of tablet, Google and, and App Store. It's my house of memories. You download it, it's personalised, so you choose the packages that you want. So you'll see lots of different heritage packets in there about communities, places, people. The app itself covers a lot of the UK. So we go from the Scottish Highlands right the way down to, you know, the Museum of London, British Museum, um, Gloucester Archives. We've got a, a section that is Welsh speaking, so it's 14 Museums of Wales. That's House of Memories Cymru. And we, you can also download in the same space our archives from the USA. We've got a programme in Minneapolis and St. Paul. And we've got a programme in Singapore. And that's in Chinese, Mandarin, Tamil and Malay. Wow. And what we're trying to do all the time is grow content, grow languages, broaden the use and the connection, keeping it free. So if anyone is out there that would like to support us, we really welcome that. We're a charity. We need to raise money to keep this going. So that's something, you know, I always look at anyone corporate who thinks this is a great idea. I want to get behind it. Love to hear from you. And long may it continue. We're, um, we're well on our way now past our 10th year. And I can see only good things ahead. And um, just delighted that, you know, our first football memories resources in there with LFC. Oh, well, good old Liverpool. Um, yeah. Congratulations all to you guys. Thank you so much for coming over, Carol. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. The subs. I, I think it adds to the sense of urgency, Neil Jones. That may not be that may have been too great at times. I think I'm, I was surprised he didn't go forty-five uh, for one, but doesn't, and you know that's absolutely fine. Then I think he almost on that. So it's counterintuitive to say this in a way, but I just thought in terms of breaking the game, he might just do one at forty-five if he was going to do it on fifty-five. If you see what I mean, he then doesn't, and then he does on fifty-five, sort of sixty. I I felt as though. He then made it made the game mad, and I want to be really clear about this. I think the manager's been brilliant with the subs all season. I think he's twisted at the right time and all of that sort of stuff. It's not an art. It's not a science substitutions. It's very much an art. Uh, but I, th I think the one thing it did do was it just added another level of being frantic, maybe a bit earlier than Liverpool needed it, and that was 
probably my overarching sort of note on the subs is I thought it just offered a, a level of madness that maybe the game just didn't need at the moment he did it. Yeah, I mean, well, he had to make one, didn't he, with with obviously with Gravenberg. And I think that that means that yeah, he makes two. Yeah, so yeah. I think that maybe he, he, he thought that's the time to make make two at the same time. Because obviously you lose a window as well, don't you? Yeah, like, yeah. In doing that, um, yeah. Look, it's difficult because we make a big deal of subs changing games, so it almost feels like they failed when they when they don't, isn't yeah. it? And it feels like oh, no, Elliot didn't do anything, did he? Or Curtis didn't do anything. Curtis actually had a good chance. But he, he might have pulled the trigger earlier or he might have pulled the trigger better on his left it's another, it's another one where Liverpool should be shooting a bit earlier. Yeah. It's not just... This isn't it just is a Nunez thing. It is to be fair, isn't it? To, 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 but he to puts make... it onto his weaker foot. Yeah, I'd yeah. Have, I'd have, if it had been the other way, if he'd been on the left and moved it onto his right, I'd and, have a bit more sympathy. And I wonder... They were, I think they were appealing for the penalty at the time yeah. and I wonder whether he does almost take his eye off the ball in the sense of, oh, this, is this going to be a penalty? Possibly. I mean, Elliot... Elliot's been brilliant. I, I thought the game needed Elliot earlier because I thought it needed yeah. Salah earlier and it needed Trent earlier in, in like with a bit of cohesion around them and, and you see I also think if you're going to cross it he's possibly the the second best crosser in the team behind Trent especially from that right hand side he, he, he seems to have the ability to hit the back post or, or wherever it needs Can't to go you're talking down Joe Gomez yeah we've all had a pint Neil yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely Joe Gomez needs to be in the box he's going to score I'm telling you but um, I thought the game I would have probably done Elliot Gravenberg yeah um, that would have been my sub um, but he never and you know he might look he'd been rewarded he probably left Elliot a bit late against Palace didn't he and he got rewarded with with a, with a big one so it's it's hard to be too critical I think you did see maybe a little bit of a lack obviously when you're bringing on when you're attacking subs at Gakpo Elliot and Jones you're taking away speed aren't you from the game you, 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 you're adding you're adding sort of the game in front of them type of players aren't you than, yep. than running behind so it, it is it is a tough balancing act um, you just got to hope I think I think we all we'd all love to have Jota back for, for Arsenal especially he seems to like playing against Arsenal we'd, we'd love to have McAllister I think available for, for, for that game um, and I think it'll it'll be a little bit easier to make sort of you know a, a good balance between dynamism and, and freshness I feel a little bit like at Liverpool they're not careful in. I think it's clear he wants to try and keep Alexander-Arnold and Salah on the same vertical line almost at times I think he likes he feels like Salah, Arnold can always find him Salah knows where where to go to make it easier for him I am ever slightly concerned they are sort of tactically tweaking themselves into being a bit more of a team in transition than they actually were earlier in the season they had a couple more certainties in September, I'm, I'm, you know, it's one of the things I'm seeing as I'm as I'm watching these games. The thing I'm surprised I haven't seen, which is counterintuitive to the sentence I've just said, is I thought there might be a bit of an argument. We're talking there about there was a partnership that was working on the right and it's fe- it's dipped. In pre-season, he's using Topper's lie on the left, and I just sort of wondered. I was when I was watching it yesterday at times, I was thinking. If you commit to that, does that help unlock Diaz a little bit? The idea that Sob was like could overlap him, go that way, could underlap him as well. It was happening in pre-season, Sob was like on the left, and I just sort of wonder whether or not that's something he could also consider that a change could be as good as a rest uh, around that area of the pitch. I think it's a good shout, and maybe potentially then it does... That could free you up Elliot for the right if you wanted to. I was going to say, that, that then allows you to play Elliot, because I think it's been difficult for the manager to get Elliot in at times when, and I know it's different yesterday, but when McAllister plays... It just looks like Liverpool are too small in and around the middle of the park, and you've all of a sudden you've got two lads there who were, you know, five seven, and you know, set pieces is a thing. You know, we know lots of teams kind of specialise in them now, so that always feels like Liverpool are just a little bit lightweight. But all of a sudden, you know, maybe if you have got Sabozlai there, and while McAllister's not playing, could you do something else? But it, it is difficult because I'm not sure Endo's got the ability to 
to play a long stretch of games. Now, McAllister's probably going to come back, and that's where the manager's got the, the question around. Can he fit both him and Elliot in the midfield? You know, I know Sabasli's 6-1, 6-2, but for me, that still feels a little bit... But also, therefore, Jones as well, But there's Jones as well, and, and, and listen, you know, the manager probably thought he might have had a, a tough decision between Jones and, and Gravenberg, but I don't think either of them have been in good form. And I think, you know, Jones almost gets that that game against Union SG to almost, I think, just remind the manager that, listen, I can play against Manchester United, you know, and he, he doesn't really do himself justice. And I know it's a weird game. It's thankless, isn't it? It yeah. is, of course it is. But but, it, but listen, you've got, to, you've got to look after your own performance. And I get it, it was a, a mixed team. And listen, it was difficult to play well in that, in that game. But sometimes you've got to take your chances. And I don't think he plays well in that game, which means almost the manager looks towards Gravenberg. I think it's, I think it's a really difficult one. It's not something I'm... Um, totally against Neil because it feels like maybe Liverpool just need to do something a little bit different and maybe just reinvigorates Sabozla again because he looks like he's one where and it might just be he's played too much football because Liverpool have flogged him I always thought it was it was quite interesting before he signed it might have even been the rap who spoke to Rafa Honigstein and he was talking about the fact that he thought he'd take a while to settle so you're a little bit shocked and surprised when he comes in and everything he does is is, is golden everything he, he he touches turns to gold you think fucking hell some player this but maybe Sometimes that happens, doesn't it? Everything you try comes off. Everything you hit goes in. Everything you do just looks brilliant. Maybe it was always, in a normal world, going to take a little bit of time. And you're just seeing that now where he is just plateauing a little bit. It is going to take him a little bit of time. And that's fine because he, he was 22 when he came. And I think he's just turned yeah. 23. He's obviously a really, really good footballer. But I don't think we should be shocked and surprised that a youngish footballer coming into a new country is going to need a little bit of time to adapt. And I think we've just got to persevere, maybe take him out a little bit. But... You, what you are seeing now is Liverpool are being really tested from an injury point of view. You know, Josh talks about Thiago. I mean, fucking hell, he missed them massively yesterday. Though they, I mean, there's been times where they have missed, but yesterday especially, yeah. someone to put the foot on the board and just control tempo. His range of passing, you can see. You know, you, you've seen him against United yeah. before where he's delivered performances that are just out of this world. And don't get me wrong, he has got one or two weaknesses to his game off the ball, but with the ball, he's unbelievable. So... Yeah, maybe they, maybe they try something and maybe the West Ham game offers but opportunity. I think before we get into the West Ham game proper, Josh, I think there's a little thing here where I do feel like Jones and Elliot have in different ways had a bit of hard lines now over the course of the season. And it's easy, let's be clear, we were absolutely praising Elliot to the skies last week. So there's hard lines and hard lines. You know, we were, we, we were, we were delighted with his performance and his showing. But I feel as though both of them, I think, whilst Liverpool are lacking to go back to the overall sort of points, some cohesion, some partnerships, whilst that is there, I do feel as though both of them can go. But what about me? And in different ways, I think Liverpool's best midfield this season has been McAllister Jones and, and Sobers Lai uh, in terms of functioning properly. I think that Elliot has shown so much uh, from the bench when he's had the opportunities. I think both of them are well within the rights to have a bit of an attitude of, I wouldn't mind starting a couple of these, you know, there's Arsenal next week manager, I wouldn't mind having a go on this one. Yeah, and that's why you, you do wonder how much the West Ham game could, could sort of play into that without trying to get into it too much. Like, I, It's really tough for the manager because ultimately you've got, you've got a situation at the moment where there's lads who are really tired who you could you could probably do with getting them a spell out of the team. The problem is there's just no chance to get them a spell out of the team. But then also I almost think someone like Sobersly, like there's it's similar to what Neil said before about like you, you probably should play Darwin against West Ham. I, I probably would play Darwin against West Ham off the left. And I'd probably play Sobersly as well. And almost just be like and you know, maybe you can throw Elliot in on, on the right hand side if you wanted to rest Salah. For one, you're giving yourself stronger options for for the game and suddenly it looks like you're taking it a little bit more seriously, which I think I think there is a bit of a, a sort of mental element around that. But also you're basically then throwing down the gauntlet to, to you know almost 
almost directly to, to Sobersly and Elliot to go, well, you've both got the opportunity now. Elliot's opportunity is a little bit lessened because he's not in the sort of the position he would play against Arsenal. But you can go to them. You've, you've got a chance to show, for one, cohesion be- between yourselves and show the sort of patterns of play on that right-hand side that we want to see against Arsenal, whether it is, you know, Mo Salah in there and whether it's Conor Bradley instead of, instead of Trent behind you and all those kinds of things. I just think there's a few players who, who the manager could do with sort of throwing that gauntlet down to now and and using you know quite literally using sort of Elliot as 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 almost a, a sort of pawn in that in that game for for want of a better phrase like one Neil said before one of the reasons we're missing Jota is that sort of pressure that it puts on players like Diaz and like Gakpo and like Nunes and Jota just feels like he's the one who rotates between them the most and suddenly we've been you know I say stuck with that front three but we have really been stuck with that front three for for too long a, a, a period of time now where Jota would be coming in and starting a couple of these games and that's just where I, I do want to see the manager mix up a little bit over, over the next couple in, in, in particular I think the fixtures after Christmas lend themselves to, to that as well but I think it's time we, we see something a, a, a little bit fresh in there because it has just gone a bit tired and a bit stale I think it's hard for him West Ham yeah, I, think I, it's, I think it's it's now become exceptionally difficult for him Neil because I think there's a few what does he do at left back is you know a really valid question because it's Sunday, it's Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday. It's not Saturday half twelve. We're stammering the Saturday half twelve next week when they play Manchester United. Very convenient for Manchester United, uh, but <laughs> they've they've got this little, you know, it's it's a tight run. The Arsenal game's absolutely massive. He's got players coming back. I'm just, I, I other than saying he will start Quanser, Kelleher, and maybe Bradley. I almost struggle beyond that point yeah. to imagine what it is that he's going to do. Yeah, I, I don't like the way it makes me feel, actually, this game. Because I, I sort of feel like I'm edging towards... Forget it. But how how can you say that? Qualifying of the League Cup? You know, you're going you're gonna to gamble it, you're going to win the league in, in December and, and say, oh, we don't... Liverpool are favourites for the League Cup. I, I make them favourites you know, before this game. To get through, you've got a two-legged thing. You know what a difference it makes if you've got a cup final on the horizon in, in February. You know It can really sort of invigorate people and give them something to, to absolutely... Everton is still in it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, you know, there's... Potentially, that could be your, that could be your, not your season, but like it could be your sort of your, your real highlight of the season is you, you go into Wembley, you won the League Cup, we finished second, third. Great. Not bad, is it? You know, considering where they were. So... But I look at that team and I think, okay, I don't want four or five of them in particular. I don't want any kind of threat to their their fitness. So the goalie, yeah, we'll have him out. We'll have Van Dijk out. We'll definitely have Salah rested or not playing. You know, a lot of minutes in the game. And Trent, you know, you can't. I think you need those four wrapped up. But the others, as Josh says, it's it's tough. You know, you. You could play Sobersly and say, can we give him a bit of confidence? But you might say, well, all you're doing is actually just adding to the what, what was suspect already, that he's fatigued. You've got a few players that even if, let's say, McAllister was available, you'd say, well, you don't want to throw him back into a game. You want to leave him for, for, for Sunday, Jota. Um, some of the younger lads, look, I'm his biggest fan, but Luke Chambers didn't do himself any favours whatsoever as, as convincing that he can play in, in games at the moment. I think he might need a little bit alone maybe in the second half of the season. Very much so. Um, Scanlon, possibly. You know, I know he played for the the, uh, the twenty ones yesterday. I know Bobby Clark was back, but Bobby Clark's been, been out for two months. On the bench, he starts from the bench as well. Yeah, fifteen minutes he's had. Um, so maybe is, you could maybe give Cade Gordon another run. You could that, give that, Cade Gordon. That would be my only one. I thought Cade he, Gordon, I thought I he was yeah. one of the better ones yeah. in terms of just just his his positivity in the game, but he didn't really threaten. But yeah, you've got Ben Doak. I think went off injured. Went yesterday. off injured. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. That that's an, you know there's another one. You've got Gakpo probably would be the one that you say okay yeah he, he he's he's fourth at the moment so maybe he'd start. But to be honest, I'd be thinking about starting against Arsenal. So that's another one. It's a really tough act 
unless you just decide that you're going to treat it like a like well, the biggest game, the biggest game of the week, and you're going to you're going to try and win it. Reminiscent a little bit of the Leicester one, where he starts week, he's got five subs, yeah. 2021, 20, 22, straight to straight to pens, isn't straight it? Straight to pens, and what he does, Ian, is they they suffer first half, but he makes changes big time at half time. They come on leaps and bounds, um, and in the end, go through in the game. I. I fancy that might be his direction of travel, where there's maybe two or three that you don't envisage starting. But who? But who are they? I, that, that's, who are they? So Billy Conor Bradley and some and Tyler Morton, I think, were yeah. the three that went off. But I don't. You've got Kwanzaa, but you wouldn't. I don't. I think you can trust Kwanzaa. You can try, I, so I, I don't I know who the others are. So I wonder if, for instance, you do you look at Scanlon or Chambers and you give them forty-five off the base. The fact that you're going to give you're going to give Shimakas the second forty-five. Yeah. That you you you've got an, you've got another couple of them. You maybe do K Gordon for forty-five. Maybe you are prepared to give Salah forty-five because what training is he going to do on Thursday anyway? You you know you do a little bit of of that. I think McConnell. through it. Yeah, you maybe give McConnell forty-five off the base. The fact that you, someone else is going to come on. I think that's what he might do, Ian. I'm just saying I've. Whatever the manager chooses to do, he's the one with all the information on this one. I mean, he always is, but especially on this one, I just feel a little bit like he's, he'll be trying to work out what on earth his best move is. I do not, most of the time, I think the Liverpool manager's a great fellow, he's got a great job and he does it brilliantly. I do not envy him. I do not envy him this one at all. No, I think it's it's a really, really difficult one uh, for the manager and I think... No, people will be critical probably either way because I, I've seen a lot of chatter about... He's going to get slaughtered whatever he, he does. He is. From the of, worst fellas in the world. A lot of chatter just saying throw this game. I, I, I'm no. not in the habit of throwing League Cup quarterfinals and I know it's maybe down one or two lists in terms of priorities but it's a competition that just completely has opened up because of the teams that have gone out and Newcastle played Chelsea as well on the Tuesday night. We'll know the Everton result by then. The manager won't be thinking about Everton, but I am thinking about Everton. Let's be fucking clear about that. I am thinking about Everton. They've got Fulham. They've got Fulham. Fulham. Yeah. And I've been thinking Jimenez about Everton. I've, I've been thinking fucking about them dope. for a while, to be honest, because you could see this coming. Um, and I, I want to be around for making sure that they are in the semi-final. Liverpool are also still in a semi-final. Um, and maybe you meet them in a final. Maybe you meet them in a semi. Let's see what happens. You know, Fulham are in a good run of form, apart from, obviously, um, the weekend game with the loose Jimenez, and that changes it. So, I do think it's difficult. I don't think he can go as weak as some people think because there's just not enough players. Some people who are going to play against Arsenal are going to be starting this but, football But you match. also see why on Thursday it doesn't help. Like, it just it just doesn't help to, to, to go that week and it won't help Liverpool's, you know, this this festive schedule. It won't help Liverpool's festive period to go dead young and, and lose no, this football match. Liverpool are up against a good side. Now, yeah. I don't know how serious West Ham are going to take it, but I think they'll take it quite serious because uh, if you're Moyes and you've won a European trophy and you can now, I know you, you might have a different view on this, Neil, but if you can go and put a domestic cup in the cabinet as well and if they get to a semi they've got a good chance in of doing last it last year of his contract well, he's, he's after a new no, contract no, at West Ham. if he goes and delivers two trophies in two years that's some fucking carrot by the way so I think they'll go quite strong I know they've got the, the half 12 game at the weekend yeah I think, I think but, but I'll be honest with you Pacatar went off injured didn't he on Sunday that, that, yeah he might not play good, he might not play every big yeah. hitter but you know even you know some, <laughs> of, the, some of the names that I'm going to mention there and, and, and Neil you know Chambers and Scanlon far more than I do but whenever I've seen them I've been slightly concerned that they're not ready for, for this level of football yet if they're coming up against seasoned pros like Bowen and people like that then they could get me to show yeah. off they, they could get me to show off and you, Liverpool have got to be careful on that you don't want to be at home and listen, you can get carried away because you know Liverpool at home for anyone will, will be will be a tough opponent. We don't get turned over three one at home going into the Arsenal game, and I think the manager's going to have to have an eye on that. And therefore, I think he will go a little bit stronger than one of two people. Like. I, think, I think it's hard for West Ham though because to, to frame this the right way, if they beat United on Saturday, they go sixth. 
sixth. You know this. This. I don't think this is easy for either manager. And you know, pointing out there, Pakatar gets as as to go off at some point during that game. You end up in a little. You know, if you're not that far away, and this is this is me saying this part literally past the period, and why the managers are all up the wall looking at each other like, what do we do? I think the interesting thing is. Do you're a West Ham fan, O'Neill. What do you want to do? Do you want to go to Wembley potentially, or do you want to finish? Oh, I think think you can say that. But if you again, the Moyes new contract thing. If Moyes helms West Ham to fifth, which doesn't seem out. Never won at Anfield either. You know, he might. He might. See this as his chance, but, they, but they, I think they, pro- they probably recruit in January again because West Ham are that sort of team, aren't they? Like, I, like there's, there's a bit of a thing to go back to the Liverpool side of things here. Like, the, the, we're talking about the players who are fatigued and maybe low on confidence. There's a couple of players who don't look fatigued and don't look low on confidence, and Simicast is one of them. Like, yeah. I'd, if I'm the manager, I'd honestly be saying Simicast, you get you get in every game, and I'll try and take you off as much as I can, but you get in every start from from basically now until until. I mean, I don't know when Robertson's back in January, but I'd almost be saying but, to him, at least Newcastle, and, and, we'll, and we'll sort of assess Newcastle but, but, when it does but the come risk around. Isn't, it, the risk isn't that he loses confidence or he gets fatigued. The so risk he gets is he gets injured. injured. Yeah. And then you've got, you go, well, we've got nobody senior to play at left-back. You know, yeah. that, that's that's the... It, it isn't... I'm not worried about accumulation of fatigue necessarily with many players. It's... it's well, who do you play if, if, if Van Dijk's injured? Who do you play if Salah's injured? You know, you're, you're suddenly, how, you're suddenly... how much do you let that hold you back? Because how much... Yeah, you, no, yeah. absolutely. That's, yeah. that's what I'm saying. It's well, the, the balancing act is really difficult. I think it's a... It's a really tough team to pick, un- as I say, unless you just say, to hell with it, I'm just picking my best team. I'm gonna, we're going to treat it like a League well, Cup quarterfinal. I, th- I think he might not be that far away from that. And yeah. Not least because I think he might also have the attitude of, and what we're going to do is we're then going to bounce into Arsenal. And yeah. I think also the five subs thing is absolutely and, massive. And you, you said before about us a bit, we look out better out of possession than, than in possession at the moment. I don't think that serves us at Anfield. It's serving us quite well in the away games, and that like you know some of the away performances they haven't been great. But the reason Liverpool are able to get results is that they're able to sort of stem what other teams are doing because other teams have got more encouragement in in, in their own grounds. Liverpool, you know, in the in the last two games, the game against Fulham, they they were they were you know quite frankly terrible in in, in possession against United. They're, they're they're really not very good in, in possession in in the way that they should be in, in in moments. They lose the ball so so much more in the in the last two games than you have seen them do. I think you need to almost lay a marker down in this one so, so that you can bounce into Arsenal because if they lose this one, suddenly they'll be looking at Arsenal going, Anfield could turn on us in that game if it starts to go wrong. In, in, in a similar way to you know the, the, the game that flips when it is, is it the, it's the Arteta one, isn't it, where it looks like it just would be a procession for Arsenal until, until Arteta does what he does. Or no, maybe it's, it's the Shaka one. one. Yeah, yeah. Shaka. yeah it, it looks like it could, it genuinely looks like it would be a train next size for Arsenal and that's, that's a game at Anfield. <laughs> I think the managers will have a different view if it was, say, when they get to that third round of the FA Cup, I think he might just go, fuck this. It's yeah. the third round. And, you know, if they're in the semis, you, I think you, he will. You're still a million miles away from getting to Wembley. And if, you, if you're doing well in the league and you're already in the semi-final of the League Cup and you've got this Europa League thing like back game. in March. Be like that Wolves game yeah, when anybody I, I, plays I, I, I think he might just throw one in and go, you know what, it's going to be a tough game anyway. I could put my best lads out and he could still get turned over because it's Arsenal. Or they can get through and get drawn against it, exactly. Brazil 1970 in the fourth. So, so, yeah. so, so, yeah. so, 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 so I think he'll have a different view on that game. But I think where they are in the competition here and the fact that you know, and I'm saying this, and, I, and I'm also, I know I'm conflicting a little bit because you can't pick and choose which trophies you win, but when you're this deep into a competition and you're only three games away, and you're at home, and you're at home, and you've got a semi final against someone who, again, whoever it is, you'd expect to go into with favourites. I just think that will make him think, you know what, there's an, there's an opportunity to put another one in the cabinet quite quickly, so. I think it, honestly, uh, I think it's fascinating what he does. I can't wait to see the team sheet on Wednesday. I can't wait to hear the rumours through the day. Uh, all sorts of mad WhatsApps coming in. Uh, oh my God, he's playing Rushy. There was one uh, Sunday, wasn't there? I got a message saying, oh, McAllister's 
McAllister's in the well, it, was, it was the kit laid out diddle. Yeah, the kit laid out diddle. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. Yeah. the wall. Yeah. The kit laid out diddle. Uh, no one knows what to do about it. <laughs> Fucking hell. Uh, put his kit out. <laughs> <laughs> used the bib theory, didn't it? What was that? Remember yeah. the bib theorists? Yeah, the bib theorists. Yeah, indeed. Uh, anything could happen. Uh, anything could happen. Listen, the Anfield Rapid have gone right the way through Christmas. Uh, there will be a free show after the games against Arsenal. Obviously, there'll be one as well after the game against Burnley. Uh, we're sort of rejigging things a teeny little bit over the period. Uh, if you want to note as to what I think, I've been trying to work out January's schedule because God knows it's in about three days' time. Uh, and in that, uh, I've got Liverpool progressing uh, for a two-legged semi-final of the League Cup as I've been planning it out. And I've got no fourth-round fixture of the FA Cup. Uh, that should be a story that lets you know. I could obviously be proven wrong on that one and we'll confirm all of that in our own minds at least on Thursday after we know uh, what happens against West Ham United. This has been the Anfield Rap. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a great show. Liverpool frustrated by Manchester United uh, it is a as I say, being produced by uh, well, a combination of Josh Sexton and on the video, it's been Sam Walker and Josh on the show as well. Ian Ryan, Neil Jones, it's the absolute business. Uh, I'm going to go and buy a Fulham top. Sports Social Podcast Network.